1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. From there, you're like, oh, I'll just come, just come hunt with me. And I was like, you sure? Because I've got two kids. I don't want it to ruin your hunt. And you're like, yeah, yeah, just come and hunt with me. We'll get you set up. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it, you're only going to shoot one duck. Welcome to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. I started off with, hey, Alex, I got a question for you. Go ahead. What's up? What do you have to do to get invited to... I would say like a very close coworker, good friend. Uh, what do you got to do to get invited to their goose pit? Actually, even better than that, what do you have to do to not get invited to their goose pit? Well, I was just going to say like, why didn't you get the invitation? Just, you know, if you're that close to them, why didn't you get the invitation anyway? But, you know, without having those details, unless you want to elaborate. So. Yeah. Uh, Nephi. Yeah. Well, you want to weigh in on this? Yeah. Well, you know. I have a friend, or at least I used to, with a goose pit, and you know, you don't know. Sometimes you don't know what you did. Sometimes, like it can be when people have hard childhoods. Some they they have things you just you bring something up from their past, like who they dated, maybe or something like that. And suddenly, it's like suddenly you're not getting invites anymore, and you don't. Sometimes you don't get it, and no, nothing can fit. You know, it's it's hard. But hey, we're all grown ups. You know, we can move past it. When you invite me to the goose pit. Mm, man, this is a much more sensitive subject than that original question that you asked Ben, which turns out to be completely loaded. Thanks. Thanks for the yeah. best. Where does that question say? come You're... from? I'm, not, <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dave, weigh, weigh in. Weigh in, Dave. What's the relevance? You know, a man's goose lease. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with it, but a man's goose least. <laughs> I, I hold that as close to my vest as I do. Well, a lot of other things. I won't Your go vest. You have my vest, right? Yeah. Um, sure. Uh, no. So, for, so here's the here's the, okay. So here's the here's the deal. I'll just lay it out there, right? Cut, do you read, have a goose you know, pit, Dave? I might have a goose pit, and I might know Nephi oh. who really wants to hunt in that goose pit. Oh, Dave's got a goose. Oh pit. man. <laughs> Right, mind blown. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> this just got real interesting. Yeah. Um, no. It, so Nephi's been is it a good goose in my pit. Is it like 
magical, like geese there all the time and like just decoys like out the wazoo, just magical goose pit. Is it like that kind of goose pit? Well, you'd know because you've been there, Nephi. You've been That's there. That's right. I have been You've there been invited. So once. the better question, Ben, the better question to ask is how does somebody go from being invited <laughs> to then not being invited after that? <laughs> that is, you know what? Now we're going to enter. If, if, if we were on the Your Mountain podcast right now, this is where the uh, hosts of the podcast would then take the guests and make them sit in the corner for 10 minutes while they talk about their. So we're going to move. We're going to yeah, move into that podcast. segment. So since people here haven't heard of this bicker about goose pits for long enough, well, yeah. you can come listen right. to our podcast. So today we, we are joined by Nephi Cole and David Wilms, uh, two thirds of the Your Mountain podcast. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. Excellent. Doing great. Doing great. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having us here. Oh, yeah. It's good to, good to have you back, Dave. Good to have you on, Nephi. Thank you for um, the invitation, honestly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I... You know, besides the fact that I do think you guys are decent guys, I did want to invite you on because uh, to reciprocate the favor, I was on your guys' podcast what last week or two weeks ago. Uh, no, I mean it just ran. Yeah, last week. Last week. Yeah, when people are yeah. listening to it, it'll be last week. Yeah. Uh, but besides that, you guys are one of my favorite podcasts. Um, but we'll get more into your mountain here in a little bit, Alex. Uh, you want to go ahead and give us a quick update from your neck of the woods? Oh man, not a whole lot going on over here. Just uh, went out, took my took my boat out for the first time this past weekend. Went out, did a little bit of well, I tend to do a little bit of bow fishing. But uh, Thomas Hoke, you know from Virginia Outdoors Unlimited, came up and introduced me to an area. So it was a good outing. I uh, got my wife out there, got some good scouting in. Saw a lot of what Virginia's idea of duck blinds look like in disrepair in late July. So. I can only surmise the amount of work that's going to have to go into some of the ones that uh, I'm going to hunt out of this fall. So it was, it was pretty good. And, and Thomas was an awesome guy to, to hang out with in person. And he, uh, you know, we had a great time out on the water on this Saturday. And now I'm just kind of trying to figure out what I'm going to do this weekend. My wife's, my wife's going to be out of town. So I'm going to be in bachelor status for Saturday and Sunday. And I'm contemplating uh, what, what I'm going to do. So I'm going to go out and fish again, um, maybe do some more scouting. We'll see. What about you, Ben? We have two. Um, last week, I mentioned that I no longer had my deer permission that I had. Remember how sad I was about yeah. that? And I went, yeah, you were pretty depressed. Sad. I was. Um, yeah, so I went out and I bought a tree saddle because I was going to be hunting all this sorts of public land. However, ring, ring, ring. I get a phone call out of the blue and I've got my deer permission back. All yours was said. Wow. So here, I want to pose a question um, to the entire group, Nephi, Dave, Alex, all of you. So you get a phone call and saying, hey, um, all yours. And then a subsequent text message saying you can hunt this property. So that's your like written permission, right? So you're all excited. You get, you go out there, you got your game cams and you're going to get some trees ready uh, the very next morning. You go out there and you see a trail cam that's out there already. Um couple stands a little bit freshly prepped and a lick like a salt lick just out you know out in the woods what do you do say thanks (laughs) use those tree stands those are now your tree stands 
you put new locks on those. When when <laughs> Santa Claus open. comes down the chimney, do you throw him out? No. <laughs> right, you you pop the cards out of the game cam. Uh, see what's been wandering Check through, them, and then you decide if those are now your tree stands. Uh, no, well, I'll ask somebody else the answer. Ahead. Well, so I mean, like, so what happened to me was like this one time where I accidentally put deer stands up. They uh, took them all down, nice and neat, and put them on the corner of the property next to the road with a note that said, "You know, you can't be here. Um, take your stuff away kindly." So that, that's that's what that happened to me when I was on the receiving end of what you had just run across. You sound like a degenerate when you say that. Um, it, it, so, I mean, do, you, do you have exclusive? Do you have an exclusive permission? He here? said, do you know, the other hunter is not going to hunt there this year. All yours. Uh, certainly says Nephi. that's I'm not true. Nephi. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so right. what I did, okay, actually, let's, <laughs> let's, let's guess. What did I do? What do you think I did? Yes. And you contacted the landowner first. No, okay. that's not. Nephi. Well, uh, no. All right. Well, um, hmm. that's what, that would be my guess to you, honestly, or, you know, what did you do? That's the question. Okay. Like rather than guessing, I want to know what did you do? I dug deep into my pack and for some reason or another, I had a pen and a sticky note in my pack. And I wrote, Hey, I thought I was the only guy that had permission to hunt on, on this property. Please give me a call at my phone number. Just want to talk. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't want to hit the landowner up. Cause have it's been so the, uh, Have you got a call back yet? No. Well, I mean, this was this morning. Yeah. Well, you're so. not going to get a telephone call. Just because so first of all, s- sticky notes don't actually work. Well, no, no, no. I, I oh. opened up. I Well, okay. I did take the card. <laughs> Turns out they're not very sticky. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, okay. So I took the card um, just because I wanted to see what was on there. Oh, I replaced it with it. a, I replaced it with a bigger SD card though. <laughs> so I, I, it was a four gigabyte uh, card that I took out and I put a 16 in. All right, all so, so here's the, I'm going to, I'm going to drop something on you here. Yeah. Um, now, not to make you paranoid or anything, but having having been a wildlife lawyer for a long time, and you having don't want actually, that card. so <laughs> it, it, the card is you, actually on the property now, though. Right, that's not safe. So, not so, he, so here's a question for you: With these cards, it's a public versus private land thing. If you see a game camera mm-hmm. on public land. Then it's there's a public game generally, there's generally no expectation of privacy sure. by that per- because it's public land and anybody can come through. You can't steal it, but there's no expectation of privacy. Like somebody might look at the, the card. If it's on private land, there tends to be an expectation of privacy. And you may have just violated the law, my friend. Oh, well, I'll be right back, guys. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> not and not that's why we always. <laughs> This is why nobody likes lawyers. On the Your Mountain (laughs) podcast, that's why every story begins with, I know this guy. Oh, (laughs) disclaimer. I actually, I actually, when I was, when I was representing, uh, so I used to represent uh, a state wildlife agency and I was doing training at the law enforcement academy for all game wardens in the state. And I had one game warden when I was doing this training, I was doing a training on search and seizure, uh, you know, constitutional search and seizure. seizure. Uh, And I had one raise his hand and say, 
hypothetically speaking, you know, <laughs> and anytime a question starts with hypothetically it speaking, you're I like, did. I just did this. <laughs> As he's wringing his hand. Yeah. And, and he, de- he described that kind of very situation. He's like, I thought I had an illegal bear baiting site and I noticed game, a game cam there. And I noticed that I set it off. And so this guy was going to come see my picture on his game cam and my, like my investigation be over. Like I wouldn't be able to catch this guy. So I went in and took the card off and cleared it out, put the card back in. Like, is that wrong? Yeah. You're like, well, was it on public land? If you do that. Oh my gosh. This is why no one likes lawyers. And two, (laughs) Dave, I thought we were friends. Why would you publicly out me on my own? Podcast. Uh, Not like you know, I'm gonna edit. He has to. He'd I mean, be disbarred. It's yeah. But but the first no, the but, first law of being a lawyer, I shall do all harm. Here's right? no, here's the second law though. <laughs> Go back and listen to it when you're when you're editing this, and you'll hear that I said you may have violated the law. Oh. You may not have. You may not have. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Ambiguity. No, yeah. That's that's oh. where you know that that's where a lawyer, you know, that's worth his salt really knows. You know, knows what he's doing. He the doesn't give you a definitive you can answer. possibly do in your life is to take a $1 bill, give it to Dave and say, you are now my attorney. And then oh, everything you, you say to Dave is like, off the record. Yeah. yeah. Client, client, and, uh, was it client so, attorney privilege? Yeah. And right attorney now I'm client, not, yeah. I'm not your attorney. I'm just a guy telling you what I know about the law. <laughs> so on but a scale this is not of one, legal it's- advice. <laughs> Just so yeah, clear. This is not, this do not rely on this. So far off. Yeah, sorry. You had this whole thing planned. Sorry, I messed. I totally messed this up for you. Yeah. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to do another episode on wildlife law, and because uh, I, you know, having a having a access to a wildlife attorney to talk about that stuff would be very interesting, especially especially in waterfowl land. You know, and and deal you know, with uh, the complications that arise with that. So hmm, maybe a future episode if okay, we have so- it. Yeah. It's a hundred. Ep- it's a hundred episodes deep right now, my friend. You, yeah, it's it's the Your Mountain Podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Alex doesn't listen to any other podcast. I don't even know if he listens to this podcast. I I listened to a couple of them. Your Mountain just got introduced to me from Ben when he introduced me to you guys, and I did go through your show. I did go through your episodes today and, and scroll through all the titles you had, and uh, did a little bit of research on. You're uh, like what it is you guys do. And I, I, I definitely started following it. So you got another subscriber today off of it because it did look pretty intriguing. And it is something that I do try to educate people on or give them resources to because, you know, the, like you were mentioning, David, those laws get really funny. And we brought it up last week then, you know, we were talking with Thomas about planning. You know, there's some really like small, obscure things out there that can turn out to be big deals. Um, I mean, reference the old toe tag episode um, that Ben did. Last year, oh, they're not. A, they're not believers in that. <laughs> believers in what? Oh, the toe tagging. The tagging your migratory game birds. Well, all all I'm saying is whether they believe it or not, that wasn't the law, and it's what that guy got nailed for. So you know, um, it, it, but it, it is a good point to bring up. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to go and start listening to some of those episodes and and uh, and and put some thought to it and asking you guys questions about it. If uh, if I were to up. explain, if I were to explain the Your Mountain podcast, I'd say it's like uh, a discovery of all the stuff that I should care about as an outdoorsman, and then kind of uh, explain it like I'm 12, or sometimes like I'm 30, and I'm in the industry of understanding this stuff. Um, 
of all the policies and things like that. Would you say that's a pretty good uh, description, uh, Nephi, Dave? Dave? Yeah. It's Dave's (laughs) job to explain the legal stuff and my job to try and explain, then act like a kindergartner. That's how we try and balance it. Oh, good. uh, And then I was going to say, it's my my job when, when Nephi goes, because he doesn't care. He just, he'll just, he'll just go on a, on a rambling tirade over something. I'll be Nephi, everything you just said is completely illegal. (laughs) It's like, I don't care. I don't care. That's what you're here for. Yeah. Well, so we work together. I mean, there's a little bit of background for us when we got together for the podcast and, you know, to, to shed light. We, we worked together. Dave and I both had professional careers, you know, prior to working for the governor of Wyoming, but we were both senior policy advisors for the governor of Wyoming, Matt Mead. And um, I was there longer, just thought I should state that up front. I'm like the older brother in the relationship, but, uh, I worked for we worked for Mead for quite a for for a long time natural resource policy advisors and uh, prior to that I worked uh, so my background is in in agronomy and crop and soil science I worked for the USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service um, doing a lot of conservation planning particularly on the watershed scales a lot of work with wetlands a lot of work with erosion and soil and things like that and then and you never Mead. saw a teal while you're out there no I saw him I just. I just like to when when things are when I find things difficult, I like to make jokes about them. That's my humor of like I, that's how I get through not being as good at waterfowl as I like to be. Is I make a joke about not being able to tell one duck from the next. I'm a soil Coping scientist. Mechanism. Yeah, so I also think all plants are the same. Like grass is just grass, whereas soil is very fascinating. Sure. And so uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's you know that's my background and how I ended up working for meat is I did a lot of community planning. From there, um, you know, six years doing outdoor recreation policy, natural resource policy, energy, water, and interestingly enough, gun policy. And that's how I ended up. I, I'm right now. I'm the director of uh, government relations and state affairs for National Shooting Sports Foundation. Although I'm not representing them on this podcast, and I do not represent them on the Your Mountain podcast. And uh, that's my background. And I have a good friend, Dave Wilms, who I, as much as I joke, respect entirely. And, uh, and, and, uh, Dave and I started working together at Me- Governor Meads and I'll let Dave take it from there. Well, I feel like we just, I'm not going to kick it back. I feel like we just hijacked the show. And if I, <laughs> this is so much easier for me though. <laughs> yeah. This saves all the questions that we had to ask, you know, to kind of like pull this out. So yeah, just go ahead. What do you, what is, Dave, tell, where do you work? What you do here? All right. Well, let's see. So you heard me say I, I've been a wildlife lawyer for a long time, uh, having represented state agencies, uh, state wildlife agencies in the past. Uh, that was before my time with the uh, with the governor, where Nephi and I worked. I was I was in private practice doing representing landowners and wildlife agencies and so forth. Before that, I was uh, I worked for the Wyoming Attorney General's office, so I spent about eight years there doing water and wildlife law. Uh, and that's what took me to private practice. Now, uh, and just like Nephi, I should say, I don't represent my current employer on this so I, I, or on our podcast. Neither but, do we. Yeah. But I, so now I'm the uh, senior director for Western Wildlife and Conservation for the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, and I'm based here in Wyoming. And uh, so I have, it, it's been kind of cool to be able to transition from doing a lot of government work to now getting into uh, the nonprofit sector on the conservation side. 
Awesome. And if you want to hear how me and Dave first met and Nephi first met um, on the eve of COVID, I think NBA got canceled the very night we met. And we were swapping wings and trading beers in a speakeasy, right? Yeah, upstairs and like a legitimate speakeasy that I did not know would exist in Omaha. But it had a totally normal bar, normal sort of restaurant bar on the yeah. main floor and then you go to the too loud and up these stairs and can you imagine how packed yeah. that speakeasy is right like- now like during covid <laughs> that place is probably the bomb like there's probably there's just us in there and now that thing is probably legit like, i felt like we dropped back into the 1920s and we're hiding from the law you know the, yeah the front of the bar was like coyote ugly light very you know, light very light uh, coyote I think ugly. real generous there like coyote yeah it's like arctic like coyote real then. ugly <laughs> um and then the back was yeah like 1920s yeah cool it wasn't it wasn't priced like the 1920s though uh maybe adjusted for inflation i bet those speakeasies back then were pretty pricey you know with the i, bootleg, I think dinger, bootleg dinger beer. Was for me that night so uh that yeah he probably was yeah, actually he may dinger, have, we call him he may have paid for me as well. No, 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 he wasn't. All right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just, we don't represent our employers on this podcast. No. Um, all right. Where were we? Oh, we brought you on this week to talk about the great American outdoors act and explain a little bit about the land and uh, water conservation fund. Yeah. Okay. You should ask questions. Cause if not, yeah, Dave that's pretty literally- open. Literally, we'll be like, I've we'll got a PowerPoint two, right here. We'll whip it. You know, we'll just, we'll go. Please we'll go. don't. See you in two hours. So I, we'll- I think, um, so, you know, we could go, we could go the Dave Wilms. I'm a lawyer. I'm going to explain it from front to back end. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to break this down um, into, okay. So, Dave, 30 seconds. Explain it like I'm five. Great American Outdoors Act. He can't go. do it. Great American Outdoors Act. Okay, thirty seconds. You just started the timer. I've I'm lost timing. five. I've lost right, five no, seconds. Yep. All right. So break it into two pieces. First piece of it uh, is the money for deferred maintenance for the national parks. Like I'm so five, I, Dave. Like one point nine billion dollars to fix things that are broken in national parks around the country. Right. One point nine billion dollars a year for five years. The other piece of it is permanently funding the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Land and Water Conservation Fund was permanently reauthorized in the last uh, or last year. And this year, the big effort has been to say, okay, we've got the program in place forever. Now let's fund it forever. That's kind of the, the real high level synopsis of that's what that bill does. Those two things. Nephi, Land and, Con- land and Water Conservation Fund, like I'm five, 30 seconds, go. Um, offshore oil dumps a bunch of money into a big kitty that the federal government can use for a bunch of stuff. And some of that stuff comes back. Land and water conservation fund gets, is a, is a, is a big fund that distributes money using an allocation formula to all the states that get used, used to make swimming pools, baseball diamonds, but also boat ramps, and then buy chunks of land to add them to, uh, empty spots on forest service maps. Okay, good. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys like an eight out of 10 on that one. I think you explained it like I was 15, maybe 20. <sighs> Do you have a lot of 12 year old <laughs> listeners? Because you're not supposed to. I feel to. like it. 
sometimes I feel like that's the case. No offense, listener. Singular. Um, Sorry, mom. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so I'll, t- I'll take it from, you know, so with the, the, with the, uh, with these acts, I'm not a professional policymaker. I'm a, your average outdoorsman. Uh, I don't watch C-SPAN if I don't have to. Um, so what does this mean to me now as, as just your, your average guy out there that might be looking to see what, what this great American outdoors act does for me. So for Dave, you, you get the national parks piece. Oh, come on. I nope. don't want to take the national nope. parks piece. Cause LWCF, no. that's my baby. That's like, but, L- but LWCF, that's the, because that's, that that's was my, piece. when we were doing policy for governor Meade, who was the, listen, Samid, that's just, was that's the just chair. cause you were there whoop, first. Whoop. Whoop. Nerd alert. <laughs> so, Attention all, we have two nerds on the podcast. <laughs> we uh, so, we don't disagree with you. So LWCF, um, so why do you care about it? Um, LWCF, yeah. there's there's at least one LWCF in every county in the United States of America is, is generally like what people say. And and basically, um, a ton of community projects have been, have been built with LWCF. And why do you care about it? You care about it because it's an opportunity for $900 million a year to come out into the states and to develop outdoor recreation related uh, projects that benefit, that benefit the American public. And the idea with that was that, and that's why it's, it's outer shelf. So it's, it's offshore oil uh, lease money that that, that LWCF is coming from. The idea was if we're taking minerals out of the ground that belong to all Americans, all Americans should get something back from that. And so LWCF was that gift back. It was to take some of that money and make sure that as long as we were taking something that we can never put back, which is an, uh, a non-renewable resource uh, in terms of that oil and gas, we need to get something from that as the American people. What was that something? That something was opportunity for outdoor recreation. And so it did go into things like ballparks. And, 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 and if you ask somebody what LWCF, why they should be excited about it, they're almost always going to start talking about those urban projects. Urban projects are going to say they're everywhere. There are swimming pools and ballparks and blah, blah, blah. But there's another piece to it. And the other piece to LWCF is LWCF. Uh, initially, there's, there's a, it was the money was shared between federal side money and state side money. Some of the money going to, again to ballparks and community-based projects and state-based projects. Some of the money going to forest projects. So, for example, the Forges Legacy Act and other projects that are used to to make forests more accessible or to buy private inholdings within forests. Why? To make it so that you or I, the average American, could more easily access those forests. And why do you care about it? Well, if you like to hunt and fish, there's a whole, you know, that public land belongs to you. So LWCF, part of the purpose of LWCF is to make sure that you, as a as a duck hunter, have a place to put your boat in. That you as a duck hunter have a place to hunt. That you as an elk hunter can access a trailhead that gets you into national forest. Or when you get there, you don't find a fence where a piece of private has kept you from being able to keep down that trail. And so that's why you should care about LWCF because it provides opportunities for you to recreate on public lands. And it probably does some stuff right next to you, you know, right next door. There's a softball diamond. It's probably there because of LWCF. All right. So I am not a hunter or fisherman. Uh, how does this, how does this great American outdoors act? You know, you mentioned something about national parks. So what does that mean to me now? All right. I guess this is the part I have to take. Thanks so, a lot, Nephi. Well, 
<laughs> so you're not a hunter or fisherman. Nephi actually touched on a lot of things LWCF does for the non-hunter and angler, like your local sure. swimming pool, your baseball field, your hiking and biking trails around the community, that stuff. But the other piece of, of the Great American Outdoors Act is recognizing that we have a, a, a deferred maintenance backlog, not just in national parks. And when I say deferred maintenance, I mean trails and roads, buildings, uh, really like the infrastructure, the, the infrastructure of these places is crumbling, restrooms, things like that. Um, and, and in national parks on BLM, on forest service, on fish and wildlife service, all of those lands. And what the, what, what the great American outdoors act does is it, it creates this fund. And, you know, like Nephi said with, with, LWCF that was offshore oil and gas leases for for the deferred maintenance piece that actually comes from a portion of uh, onshore oil and gas royalties right that are from that are produced from public lands so uh, up to 1.9 billion dollars a year um, and so that money then for the next five years will be used to cut into these maintenance backlogs to make your experience on all of these different public lands, whether you hunt or fish or not. I mean, obviously in the national parks, you're not going to be doing that, but it's going to enhance your experience. Like you're going to be able to go use a restroom. You know, that's a pretty big deal. We're finding out, especially during COVID, that's a huge deal having access to to facilities. But, uh, you know, it's that money is going to go back to really enhance the visitor experience and uh, and use of those public lands. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's not what I heard. Oh, you heard some other stuff. Yeah, some, I did. Uh, some did innuendo hear? and hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. I heard that that's all hooey, that the majority of this is of these funds are used to expand the federal estate. And I just can't stand in good faith with that. Um, when you can't even maintain what you got. Fair, fair. Nephi, I got to take this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so part of the LWCF fund goes to land acquisition, the federal side. And and in the past, it was, and Nephi can correct me on this, but originally in the original LWCF, I believe it was meant to be um, 60% federal, 40%. 60, or 68, 40, 40 federal. That's why I'm the um, LWCF guy. Yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. So you have those those nuances. But here's I'm going to throw some other nuances at you. So you talk about it as being a grant, this grand land acquisition bill. There are in this country roughly 640 million acres of public land, land in, under the federal domain, 640 mil, million acres. About 28% of the two and a quarter billion acres of this country. Over the history of this country, the federal government at one time or another owned most of that land and has disposed of all but 28% of it. That's one way of looking at it first is through various acts, the Homestead Act, getting land to the railroads to encourage expansion uh, across the West, all, all of these things, even, even statehood, you know, bringing states in, disposed of the federal estate. And you can look at examples of this, uh, of the federal government disposing of the federal estate over the course of several hundred years until 
FLIPMA, the federal, oh shoot, I'm not going to get it right. The Federal Land Planning Management Act, whatever. Anyway, FLIPMA passed in 1976 and said, oh, no, we're not doing that anymore. And and stopped uh, the disposition, the large-scale disposition of federal lands and said, federal land should stay, you know, this, these should be public lands. They should stay in public hands, basically. That's where you hear, get that mantra from, right? So you have that in place. Since and and since that time, there is a specific process for continuing to dispose of federal lands, but the, that disposition has gone way down. Like I said, we have 640 million acres. I want to ask you a question of, of public land in the country. How many acres do you think have been acquired since LWCF passed in 1965 into the federal estate? I'll go with under 100,000 acres. Oh, no, it's way more than that. Sorry, I should uh, now. I, now, I, now I give now I give one billion acres. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. There it is. No, no, it's it's actually through the federal land acquisition portion of LWCF. It's actually about five million acres that have been acquired. Way off. Which is which is seven tenths, but it's seven tenths of one percent of the overall federal estate. And oh, when you, you can't break say it, numbers like that. Seven tenths of one percent, less than one percent, less than one percent of the overall federal estate, and and the last piece I would say about that is when you really dive in and look where those land acquisitions occur, it it's not like they're going out there, the federal government's going out there saying we got to buy a bunch of land and and trying to find a bunch of land. It's things like in Grand Teton National Park, there were a couple of inholdings square mile sections owned by the state of Wyoming. And the National Park Service wanted to acquire those. And the state of Wyoming wanted to sell those because they wanted to make as much money as they could off of those state acres. And they couldn't do anything with them because they were completely surrounded by National Park. And so LWCF money was used to pay the state of Wyoming for the state land to transfer it into the federal estate and that was for that 640 acres, it was $46 million, half of which came from LWCF and half of which came from private donations. And you can find, you can repeat that example in places all over the country. Basically, it's being used to, to you know, remove inholdings from national parks and monuments. It's being used to, uh, with willing buyers and sellers to acquire land for national wildlife refuges. Um, but it's not this big land grab that people are making it out to be. Yeah. I think, I think it's a valid, I'm sorry, Alex. Oh, no, I, I mean, I, I was going to say, I think a lot of people don't understand too, that when a lot of like national parks are created or when there's a lot of national forests that were established, like there are families out there that have been in these places for a long time and they have those inholdings, you know, um, one of them close to my close to where I grew up was that way where they had, you know, this family had this large plot inside a national forest and it was it, they had had it since before that was established as such. And so much like you were saying, it's not land grabs, you know, that's not it's not this aggressive expansion of the federal land. It's there. A lot of it's just shoring up what's already surrounded by to make it more contiguous, more useful to the, the owners. There. You're right. Or yeah. the, exactly. Nephi, let me reframe the question for you to attack it. Cause I feel like this would be an appropriate one for you to attack. I come to you. I, I just can't in good conscience support a bill that allows the government to have more money to outbid local farmers at land auctions. This is just a federal land grab. 
I think it's a fair argument, honestly. And I think that that's part of the what you have to address when you talk about this. So, first of all, I'm not sure how often that that you know you're going to be able to find examples for sure where that's going to be the case and somebody's going to be able to say, "Oh, look, I you know, I have this one example in the nation that we're going to point to." But I think Dave was right when he said, and I know that he's right, and said that's not that's going to be atypical. What are we typically seeing with these? What we're typically seeing is something like the, you know, there's a, a piece of, you know, property up by Devil's Tower, Wyoming, that's co- people call it the Grand Canyon of the Black Hills, where a logging company goes in and had, you know, bought this huge area that's extremely important for wildlife, beautiful country. I mean, just, j- just a, a gem, just an absolute wonderful piece of property. So that property, the people who had that property were facing two different things that they were had decided what they were going to do with it. And again, this is the middle of the Black Hills, middle of the forest there. They were either going to A, subdivide it, or B, they're going to try and sell it to somebody else who will keep it as one single piece. That group that was going to keep it as one single piece, when you're like, well, th- that group ends up being, you know, one of a variety of 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 entities in this case the group that they that was trying to purchase that land was was a was a a land trust and the idea was they purchased it so that they could keep it from becoming hundreds and hundreds of tiny little you know islands of houses that elk and deer didn't want to hang out in anymore right because we got plenty of those we got plenty of those in this country and instead they were going to keep it as one contiguous whole they were going to allow it to be hunted fish just like it always had they were even going to allow timber to be managed on it and then they wanted to see if they could transfer it back to the federal government so that they could permanently hold it in management that's where something like the forest legacy project gets used it doesn't get used to you know if you're saying like that's not fair that the forest would come in and outbid me as a developer well you know yeah i guess you can make that argument but the but you know what like we're not running short of housing developments. We're running out of yeah. mountains and we're running out of rivers and we're running out of lakes and we're running out of these special places. And I think it's legitimate to say, you know, should we have the opportunity to keep some of these places as they are? And, and by and large, when you look at LWCF, what it's being used for is someplace like the front range of Colorado or in Montana around Bozeman. Where you, where you r- literally do have these explosions of populace where people have decided it's trendy to live next to a mountain. And so they're going in and they want to expand the urbanization of these spaces. Well, if you don't want that to happen, you have to be able to put on some kind of a conservation easement or something like that to keep it where it is. And this money gets used for that. It gets used not necessarily to even make it a fe- part of the federal state. In many cases, that money... It's part of that is getting basically it's going to a rancher in, in in exchange for a permanent agreement that he will never develop the land, that the land has to stay a ranch forever. For example, around Devil's Tower, Wyoming, a beautiful place where I would love to have five acres and a tiny little cabin. That's never going to happen there. Why? Because an agreement has been made with the people that own that forest and that land to keep it as contiguous habitat that that's going to support diverse wildlife populations forever. And I guess the question is, are you in favor of that? Do you think that that's how your money should be used? 
I think most of us would nod our heads and say yes. Now, I say it's fair to make, and I got, I do have to touch this other side when you said, hey, you shouldn't be, you know, you, you know, the federal government, how much land do they need? It's a valid question. Valid question. Like if we're going to put money in perpetuity into federal, you know, the federal coffers to buy more land, you can run that theory and say, well, that means someday they're going to buy all the land. But let's be real about this. The amount of money that's going in there is does not that's not what's going to happen. If we're going to play this out for five thousand years, yes, maybe, but that's not the reality. The reality is this is being used to help exchange certain pieces of land for other pieces of land to add conservation easements. It's being used in general very responsibly, and I think that you'd it'd be hard pressed to find situations where that is not the case. And, and the one piece I'd I'd also say is you know I told you how five million acres were acquired through the federal state. Since 1965 under LWCF, one thing I don't have the number for, and I think it'd be interesting: federal government still disposes of land. So, what is the net gain in in federal ownership? Uh, and the other piece of it is uh, LWCF recently has been managed more towards on the land acquisition side towards improving access. That's right. So, so this money that might be used to acquire you know, 200 acres in one place, that 200 acres might open up to the public 10,000 acres. That's right. right? Might be used for an an, e, uh, an access easement. Uh, it might not be used for, like Nephi mentioned, you know, they're, they're used for other things besides fee title, you know, buying the piece of property. They might be used to buy an easement to get the public to it's tens of thousands of acres that they might not have otherwise been to. And that's, at least in the past, uh, you know, 10, 15 years, maybe even a little bit longer than that. That's really how LWCF, the federal side, has been managed. And I think there's even some congressional direction in the in the permanent reauthorization bill to really focus on on access, a opening up ten percent. Yeah, on focusing on access. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's bring it. Oh, Alex, did you have something? Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say just to, to add on this. Really, what this has done is it's given the public a bid in those bidding wars. You know, like it, what it's you know when I see that, like it's given the public when you talk about like this is the federal government coming in to to compete and grab this land away from the farmer. Like really, what this has done is it's given the the public a seat at that auction and the means in which to compete fairly against entities you normally wouldn't be able to. How do we uh, feel about that, guys? Well, let's be clear, uh, I, and maybe you know, Nephi, you probably want to touch this too. There's a very specific process that a federal agency has to go through to acquire a piece of land, and you're, they're not going to send an employee into an auction, for example, right. and start right. bidding up a piece of property. Typically, if if something if the federal government is acquiring a piece of property, it's because they've established a relationship over time and potentially decades worth of time with a landowner and the timing becomes right. And the landowner says, here's what I want. You know, either I'm, uh, you know, I'm retiring and I'm leaving the property and I want to see it, you know, conserved in perpetuity in some way. And so we're going to sell it to the federal estate or, or we want to do a conservation easement, but it's usually based on a long-term relationship. So you're typically not finding yourself in competition with the general public for this land. Yeah, Dave's right. You know, typically what, what happens is so people that think, you know, it's not the Forest Service or some jackbooted thugs that wander in with a briefcase full of cash and buy a ranch. What happens is the Natural Resource Conservation Service, where I worked for 12 years and then ran state programs, has a, you know, will work on a voluntary incentive based basis with a landowner who has 
you know, a thousand acre ranch next to Yellowstone National Park. That that rancher, when that when that guy dies, he knows what's going to happen to that ranch. Chances are, you know, he's got you know five kids. So what happens to the ranch? Do they divide it up? Is there estate tax? Is mm-hmm. is that lost forever? Is it going to become condominiums? And so he starts looking at what he really cares about. And this is in most cases, this is what's happening. That guy's saying, you know what I really care about? I really care about this place. I really care about those elk or that that issue. And so how can I keep how can I make sure that my kids can afford to put, you know, their grandkids through college? And at the same time, you know, this is all I have. You know, this is my nest egg. I'm a rancher. I don't have cash. I have this place. So how can we afford to keep this place where it is? That's when these discussions come in of things like permanent easements. It's a tool that allows somebody to stay on the land and keep working the land as a, as a working ranch or to keep making the land accessible to the public where that land would be lost otherwise. Or in many cases with LWCF, it's finding those places where that could have been the case and it was lost and it's bringing those places back. So for example, again, the Dave talked about the inholdings in Grand Teton National Park. Wyoming owns two giant tracts of land in Grand Teton National Park. So for you, the public, would you prefer to see those as condominiums? I mean, I would. I'd like to have one. Or would you like to see or would you like to see those in perpetuity? Would you like to see that as open space full of, you know, where the deer and the antelope play? Chances are it's B. You know, when you're you're going to the national park, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see the casino that I built there, even though I can make a lot of money on that piece of land. Absolutely. You know, you want to you want that to stay where it is. And so that's what LWCF is being used for. Now I get it. There are folks who would say, like, well, no. I think that if the federal government weren't a player, if we were to loot, like, let's just, let's play this hypothetical. Let's make all the federal lands available today, right now, highest bidder, whoever wants to buy them. Well, you might think to yourself, well, I'm going to be able to get some cheap land in a forest that I like, or I'm going to be able to keep a ranch. But you know what the the real danger there is? The real danger Is that Ted Turner's going to buy it all? Ted Turner's going to buy it all, and you and right. I aren't going to be there anymore. You yeah. know, the, the yeah. surfs. I, okay, rate my going. rate rate my comment here. I saw. I mean, clearly, there's a reason I asked you that question. I saw it on Facebook. I, I cannot, in you know, good conscience, whatever, whatever I said there, like allow the government to outbid small farmers. It's like. Dude, you're you're not being outbid by the government. You're being outbid by the the farmer that's ten times bigger than you. Yeah, Monsanto. Yeah. Like you're being outbid by Monsanto. Yeah, who's going to come in? Right. And if, yeah, and, who's and you're not losing. That. You're not losing to the American public when it comes to that. You are losing in like there's not a there's no small like there's no big time small farmers anymore. Yeah. You know no. and 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 oh by the way like you're never going to get invited to that meeting. You're never going to know that it happened. It's just one day there'll be a fence that goes up and then that's the end of it. You don't show up there anymore. You know, um, and I've, I, you know, I've seen land sold that way um, in, 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 you know, where I grew up and it's, and it's people don't realize that part either. It is not a, this isn't me and you and Ben getting together and, and buying this. Like this is, this is a different entity out there that has a lot more resources than the general hunter and angler, right? You know, that, that's, that's utilizing it. And so, 
you know, like you mentioned that in holding, like, hey, you know, Nephi, you and I might want to go build those condominiums, but the truth is we won't be able to afford them. That's right. Like we won't even touch it. You know, like that's, and we'll never get to, we'll never get to stay there either. They'll be the Facebook condominiums, right? That's right. Zuckerberg will buy that up. All right. right. All right. (laughs) Clearly uh, a nuanced subject with intelligent men talking about it. Um, Okay. This is kind of a moot point at this, uh, at this time and space because it's passed both the house and the Senate. Right. Um, But what do you say to someone that says, well, no, LWCF GOA requires reform uh, amendments in order for it to actually advance its purpose. I'd say that I'd would say, be fair a few years ago. Uh, I'd say even if even if it's fair today, work on it. Yeah, you right? know, work on it from here. But, it, uh, it, there's there's not a perfect law out there. Like we have, it point me to a law that Congress has passed that is a perfect law that couldn't be improved in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't exist. Yeah. If you look hard enough, you're going to find a flaw. If you look hard enough, you're going to find something that needs to be improved upon. Uh, but sometimes you got to look past some of that and see, okay, what what are some of the good? And we should always try, strive well, to make it better, well, right? Strive to make it better. But look, yeah, well, look at the, the worst way part? the good what's against the, the bad. What's the worst part of this, Bill? Well, okay, so I – oh, go ahead. And if I've, got no, a, I've got in my mind what's the worst part. But I'm going to let you get to the worst part, but I do want to just back up and say for everybody that says like it needs to be changed, realize that the place that it's gotten to now – represents a huge amount of compromise. When when LWCF originally started, like Dave said, there was a 60-40 split where states were supposed to get 60% of the money and the feds were supposed to get 40% of the money. Over time, it drifted to where the federal government was calling the shots on 85% of that money when it came in. And when they did the permanent reauthorization, there was a great, a great compromise where people came together and they said, okay, Let's make this, let's, so let's, 79 or what? let's 50, 50, it. let's actually do it. Let's get it straight down the middle. 50% to the federal programs, 50% to the state side. And let's make sure that that happens. That did happen. And so that grand bargain, it didn't make everybody happy. Like I, there are some groups that would like to do nothing more than land acquisitions that wanted it back to the 85. There are a lot of people in states that are very, that, that hate having any federal land at all. That, Utah. I didn't say that, but <laughs> those states like that one might have, you know, they, they wanted to see the, the, the entire program scrapped and rethought, but that's, we're a country, our government works best when we have pragmatic compromise. And that is exactly what happened in this case with LWCF. That's where we got to. And the okay. compromise just continued. And all it did now was we said, you know what? We made the promise. We said that let's do it. We we compromised. Let's actually put money into it now. That's what we just did. We just said let's actually now that we've decided how we're going to spend the budget, let's put some money in the account so we can actually do it. Okay, that's where I. Th- oh. Go ahead, David. Oh, and that's where I think the the one criticism you could have comes from. So you talk about the grand compromise. Right. And I agree because the other piece is coastal states have complained saying we should get more money because the, the the funding coming from this is coming from offshore oil and gas, right? and that's revenue that could have come to us. All of those things, those were all compromises. The one piece that isn't played a lot in the media where I actually think there's you know a le- maybe a legitimate beef over the long term is, okay, so we, we permanently reauthorized it last year. And all the details of LWCF and what that looked like. Nephi's right. Great American Outdoors Act was just a money bill. 
right? For LWCF, it was just saying we're going to we're going to fully fund it at nine hundred million dollars a year, guaranteed every year for perpetuity, and that's the place where you could potentially have a beef. Is you're funding it with offshore oil and gas lease revenue in perpetuity when those leases, you know, there could be. We could we can have an we could have an energy economy that shifts to something else. When people might not way. lease those, right? People might you know companies might not lease. There might you might you know there might become other fields that are more or other oil fields that are more economical, and people aren't leasing as much in the Gulf. My point being, when you're talking about funding in perpetuity, one of the concerns that uh, that a a number of senators had, and I'm sure representatives had too, was. I don't like to bind my kids or my grandkids to to a funding source that I don't know is going to be there. We've just guaranteed to pay this and to pay it we may have to you know go into more debt right yeah, in the, order to do it into the future. The green and new deal wreaks havoc on the funding stream for this and other stuff. Well, it's not just the I mean you say green new deal but it's it's really any shift in the energy economy or or frankly you know, long-term changes in where we we've, get those commodities we've could, tied this basically the funding to oil to a single source from a single location not just oil but lease oil leasing revenue from the, the outer you know, coast outer outer shelf right and and what if what if that in 20 years is no longer the most profitable way of uh of getting our oil, or what if we're not? You know, we just don't need those oil sources because we're using some different technology. Now that revenue stream has theoretically dried up, but we have a law that says we're committed to funding at nine hundred million dollars. So we got to find that money. We'll, we'll have somewhere. to re-argue that later, and that's and so yeah, yeah, in like 50, 90 years, right? Well, I think that's but so in a way that could be a good thing though, right? Because it does tie it to something that would reignite the debate at a later point that maybe the same concept is kept, right? Like if this is funded off of energy from X, then let's say the Green New Deal did happen. Well, maybe this is funded now off of this type of energy source that utilizes a land or resource. Because hey guys, solar farms take up space and they're not the most beautiful looking things in the world. You know, so if that's something that happens in the future. Then it could be readdressed. So in a way, I'm kind of glad that at least it ties it to something revenue generating now and leaves a place where the argument will have to revisit have to be revisited later that would keep it going. Because I think once people see the benefit of this over the over the 10 or 15 years, the people that are in favor of that will be able to look and say, well, but look what it's done for the public and look at the access that it's done or the parks or the projects that it's actually funded, and don't you enjoy that? And that'll make the argument, I think, easier in the future if it does, in fact, have to pivot to a new stream of revenue based on the energy market. And I think you're right. I think that's exactly right. I all I'm providing is where I think the 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 most defensible argument for opposing this was, in my opinion, like that that was yeah. the most defensible argument for a budget hawk that doesn't like to that just flat doesn't like to approve permanent. Uh, appropriations then i get it if that's your philosophy and you you don't like permanent sure. appropriations you want congress to have control over the budget every you know year in year out and you only spend what you bring in um if that actually happened that'd be great uh haven't haven't seen that happen in a long time but you know that's that's where i say i think i think that's a i have no beef with that concern i don't personally don't necessarily agree with the concern but i don't have a beef with the concern 
Sure. Okay. Let's talk a little bit if uh, this is a, you know, if this is a football game, we've passed the house, we've passed the Senate. Um, let's give a little bit of, uh, you know, the first half or I guess the first three quarters of this game. Give me a breakdown. How to, how to go. Go, go, I'll go for it. Nephi, you wow. first and then I'll go. Wow. This is a, uh, I mean, some of it was a lot. I'll tell you. The, the permanent reauthorization was a lift that took a lot of bipartisan compromise. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of pushing from governors and others, Republican governors, um, like Matt Mead, who, who, you know, said like, this is important and this is why. And, and, uh, then the great American outdoors act, I think, you know, when something goes through Congress, if people need to realize this doesn't happen in a month, it doesn't happen in a couple of months. It happens in years. It takes years and years of people trying to find the right vehicle to move the legislation of people, you know, talking and visiting and horse trading and all those things it takes a long time. Um, and it's I, more like a cricket match, not a football game. Right. Man, I mean, it's like sure. it's been going on for decades. Yeah. Right. I mean, to get to this <laughs> okay. point, but the, the would you break it down thing, for me? Why? Why? Though, the, Go ahead. And I mean, the, this is what, the, what you want to know. Here's where it got entertaining is because, Sometimes oh, you're going to, you're going to do it. Aren't you? You're going to take the piece sometimes, I was going to take. Dang sometimes, it. sometimes things come together and happen Nerds. and we should not bicker about why. And here's what happened. It happened now because of political expediency, you know, it had the bipartisan support. People wanted to see it happen, but why did the great outdoors act? Why did it get that, that, that money now that slug of cash, it got that money because there were a couple of vulnerable Republicans in Senate races in states where people really cared. And those Republicans said, I need this if I'm going to survive. You can't have me be the bad guy of public lands. And those senators put a lot of pressure on people and they talked with people, including the folks in the White House. And then you had a president come out and say, suddenly, this is a great idea. This needs to move. And it became marching orders. And, and the writing was on the wall. The reason that it moved now is because politically, you had people that needed to have it. That's why it moved. Now, it's is that a fact. bad thing? There are people now who are arguing, like on the left, you're going to see people are like, oh, like those guys, they didn't really care about this. They wouldn't have done it, you know, and you have people on the right who are going to make the same types of arguments. Who cares? That's who how cares? a lot yeah. of this stuff gets done. That's yeah. how the sausage was, is made. <laughs> I was going to say, there, there is nothing new about that. Like, that is exactly how it has been done since we've been around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes um, you want to see the right, the right things. You want to see the right things done. And you need to quit asking for everybody to have the perfect reasons for doing the right things. Instead, nod your head and acknowledge that they did the right things. And if they did those things, here's the other funny part. You've got those people who went out of their way, Republicans who to support this, who are continually to get bashed by folks from the opposite side of the table. Give them a break. You know, they did it. You know, they brought yeah. it. They deserve credit for it. And it's not just the vulnerable, I mean, you said vulnerable Republicans, but it took more than having just a couple of vulnerable, vulnerable Republicans. That's it right. took having vulnerable Republicans in a year where the, the Republicans in the Senate are trying desperately to hang on to a majority going into the next Congress. And it's a razor thin margin. And those two seats could make the difference between having being the majority or the minority, you know, being able to confirm ju judges or not, you'll know, be you know, all these different things that go into it, like the the ability to govern the country the way that party wants to do it 
could come down to these two states. And Nephi was right. It happens to be in, and I'll just name them, in Colorado and in Montana, public lands are a voting issue. You bet. They just are. And so you actually had two Western states where the issue that's that was needed to help determine which party is going to control the Senate are our conservation issues. Sportsman right? issues. Sportsman's issues. Yep. When right. was the last time that happened? I just think that's a, even though it's pretty nerdy to talk about this way, I just think it's right. a really cool thing to think about. Yeah, we're on the field at least. Can you give me a, a replay real quick? I'm from Nebraska. Um, could you explain what what the reason why both of my representatives didn't didn't uh, didn't pa- like vote to pass this? No. <laughs> <laughs> and the next topic is going to be <laughs> I, they, every everyone. I, I assumed it was, had something to do with being tied to. We have less than like three three percent public lands in Nebraska. Or I like I don't know. No, but either, I mean, LWCF does more than public lands. Like, we yeah, yeah. About, I mean, I've reached out and I've asked, but um, they have, they all have their reasons. Uh, and so I don't know what, I don't know those particular, your, your delegation's reasons without looking into it. The most common reasons that I've seen, and Nephi's probably seen some of the same stuff, is you have, and this is primarily Republicans with this, the position of, like I mentioned, the, being the budget hawks, right? That they, they don't like permanent funding, some permanently funding something, you know, forever. Uh, they want to have some control over uh, the budget every year. They're they're worried about accountability. If there's a blank check for for you know however much it is every year, they're worried about accountability uh, to the to the federal agency. How's it going to get spent without sure. con- the congressional annual oversight? Uh, that's not a that's a pretty weak argument because. You know, for various wonky reasons, um, and then you have some of the other concerns that were brought up about. Well, we already have the, the federal government already can't manage the land it has. Why should we be giving them a bunch of money to acquire more land that they already can't manage? Um, you know, those are the some of the more typical arguments that you saw coming up, and then just a general opposition to expanding the federal estate. Uh, you know, and, and I think there was some general heartburn from some about combining the park service deferred maintenance bill with LWCF. So I think some of these folks that voted no, if the deferred maintenance piece had been on its own might have voted yes. Uh, but because of the LWCF piece attached voted no, um, others had problems with the national parks piece. They said, we're, we're just putting a bandaid on a bigger problem. We're putting $1.9 billion a year. That's only going to cut into about a third of the deferred maintenance backlog. And we're not addressing the more systemic problems with how we got to the point where we have the, you know, $18 billion or so in deferred maintenance. And so there were a whole host of reasons. I'm going to be more simple and and far more political than Dave. And just say that right now, the way that our country is shaping up the polarization of politics in this country has it that certain issues are seen as a party issue. And this is one of those issues, conservation issues are largely seen as, you know, public lands issues are largely seen, you know, as these green issues are largely seen as belonging to one party. Um, where, and where, for example, if you're a sportsman, you've heard often that you're going to have to choose between guns and lands, guns and lands. 
it's totally fake, but we've been tricked into believing that this is the case. And, and you have different parties that have taken positions that as sportsmen, they may not benefit us. Like a party plank that says we should get rid of all public lands. That probably doesn't fit us as sportsmen. A party plank that says, you know, nobody needs anything but a double barreled shotgun. That also doesn't probably fit. That doesn't fit us at all as sportsmen. And so I will say that I think the most courageous people on these votes, you want to see who was courageous? It doesn't take a lot of courage to vote with the 50 guys who line up just like you and, and, and all vote as a party block. The courageous folks making these decisions, making these votes for the constituents are the ones who go out on the limb and do something different. It's look for a Democrat who takes a pro-gun stance on something. Look for the Republican who takes a very green stance on something. Those are courageous decisions. And, and those people, again, deserve to be applauded for that. But we are in a political climate where when those people do that, they're likely to get castigated by folks who may not even be their constituents for being not, you know, for being a, a rhino or being, you know, whatever, you know, blue dog or what's a rhino. Sorry. Republican in name only. Right. It's like that guy's not really yeah, conservative gotcha. enough. And so you know, that's that's the world that we live in right now politically. It is not healthy. It's not good for our country. It certainly isn't good for sportsmen's issues. But we have to work to get past it through education. And I thought that was one of the best things that I, you know, when I was reading, doing my research on this bill. And, and when you, you know, with those people that did exactly that, that kind of that pushed this. And, you know, to go back to your point, like maybe it was politically convenient at the time. But at the same time, like, it, it did demonstrate that compromise is still possible for big things for public land. You know, like when I looked at this, I looked at it beyond the fact that I'm a hunter and a fisherman and I enjoy public lands. But I looked at it from the standpoint of at least there is an issue that could go to our government right now and can get bipartisan support and, and go through because people recognize that it just makes sense. So I actually looked at this as like this is in a small way a vote of confidence that I think could be very easily eroded in today's environment with exactly the things you said, the polarizing politics, the thing, guys, we all enjoy fresh air. We all enjoy going outside and we all enjoy the things that these, that this funds, you know, this supports. And that was, I took that away as a, as a little bit of a optimism in what has turned out to be so far, not a very optimistic year for any of these things, much less public debate and uh, public compromise. And so that's my uh, my two cents on that piece, and I'm excited about this for that reason. All right. It's it's past the House, past the Senate. When can we expect – can we expect the president to sign this bad boy? 100%. And what does it look like after that? Yeah, he's going to sign <laughs> like, it. There's so no the, doubt. When? When is he signing it? It has to be signed, I believe. has to be signed by Monday. This uh, – Whatever you know, based so that, on where the we day are now, that this is being aired. It should yeah, have been signed. It should, it, well, yeah, it should be signed by August third, uh, based on, um, based on federal law. That's the information I got today. Was that it need to be signed by August third? There's ten days from the date of passage, not count ten, not business days, but ten calendar days, not counting Sundays from the day it passes to be signed. Which so it should be on Monday. his desk. Oh, it's on his desk right now. I'm sure it's on his. They're they're probably planning a big signing ceremony somewhere. Actually, they're getting the pins. They're getting the pins made right now. Yeah. You know, the, the in, hand in, out. inviting the people out they of, want standing behind. Out of virgin yeah. timber, P picking the <laughs> picking the best possible backdrop. You know, for 
for the president to, to and be it's able to a say, hundred percent like slam dunk. There's no like, there's nothing. Uh, it's it's it'll be signed. Yeah, this is getting signed. Um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know something that people forget a lot for you know all these the, the politics of our country are so unique right now. I would like sportsmen to remember an interesting thing is I don't know that President Trump is much of a sportsman, but Don <laughs> Jr. sure is. Like yeah. his kids, like, and, and here's the thing about Don Jr. You've got a guy there who really, really loves hunting and public lands. Like that dude, forever you might want to say about anybody else, that guy puts on a backpack and heads into the backcountry by himself, just like you or me. And to me, I think that's super cool. I think that's the, the great equalizer when you have people, you know, the great outdoors and these public lands. If you're utilizing these lands, there's nothing special about you. You know, you, you and I and the guy down the street, like we are all equal when we hit the trailhead with a backpack and there's nothing that your upbringing or your, you know, your, your, your wallet is going to give you the advantage on when you hit these lands, except maybe as Dave knows, a better backpack. But in general, you're all going to be using boots and a pack. And, and, I, and I have a ton of respect oh, yeah. for people that love that and can appreciate that. And he's one of those people. Although there was that guy, total sidetrack. There was that guy in Montana a few weeks ago. Did you hear about that? So Who landed super helicopter? rich, super rich guy that landed his helicopter oh, to go yeah, fly yeah, fishing yeah, yeah. in a wilderness area. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and then didn't he just eat the like $500 uh, fine that it was because he's a millionaire? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he might like, be. Sorry fishing here i don't care yeah anybody that yeah yeah exactly anybody cheaper, that can, cheaper cheaper than a guide this is way better <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know i'm just you know yeah, sorry that was attack. a tangent but apparently some some guys with a bunch of money can get to places we can't get uh you know without the without the backpack <laughs> yeah and some guys with a bunch of money will never be able to see them so mm. it's a it's a it's to me uh, like this public lands issue is one I'm, you know, I'm really conservative guy. And, but this is one that I think to me is uniquely American. And I say that because I look back, one of my favorite books is, uh, you know, I love to read about Lewis and Clark and, uh, you look at what they did and, and, and they, we can do that still. How American is that? that you can basically put yourself in some of the same places that they went and face some of the same dangers and, and go someplace that doesn't belong to Dave. And I don't have to ask permission. And that's uniquely American. And we should never lose that. We know we don't want to be in the place where as a country, we can never have an adventure. And this is just one of the things that's really cool about being us is like for all of our warts and problems and all the good and bad about us, we have a few things that like, we're always going to be cowboys. We're always going to be explorers as long as we are willing to keep that. And we should, because ultimately if we lose that, we lose who we are as Americans. We're different people. All right. What's the next fight after this? Uh, probably, it's probably different for each one of us. <laughs> Dave's looking at Rawa. And we are yeah. too. So Dave and I recovering both, recovering America's Wildlife Act. Yeah. yeah. So that's so. that's kind of a you know that's a couple of years out. I think that that's the next big one for all for for all you know for sportsmen 
I will say that. So, so in three years, we'll, we'll have you on to talk about Rawa. Probably. There's some folks yeah, who like to see it move faster hopefully. than that, but, you know, it's... Most, there are a lot of folks. It has, it has uh, I can't remember the exact number, but close to 150 co-sponsors in the house. I mean, it's a pretty, and it's bipartisan. It's pretty popular in the house. Covering America's Wildlife Act. And what that does is it creates supplemental funding that will then go to state game and fish agencies that they can use to address issues with threatened and endangered species and non-game species. Mostly non-game. The idea Almost is to, exclusively non-game. The idea is to free up money so that, you know, right now game and fish agencies, so for everybody that doesn't know, they're getting about a billion dollars a year from the firearms industry that's coming in as the Pittman-Robertson tax. And they have Dingle Johnson's coming for fishing. It's smaller, but it's st- still coming in. And then all those agencies also have money that they are raising through selling licenses. And that and those license fees that come in from sportsmen run about 50-50 with Pittman-Robertson. And that there's a reason for that. And a big reason for that is because you have to match that federal money, that Pittman-Robertson tax. And so... There's a big incentive from game and fish agencies to make sure that they can match that money. Some states also have an appropriation. Some states have a lottery. Some states have other money that dumps into the wildlife fund. But I tell you all that to know that that money right now isn't just spent on game animals, even though it's largely coming from sportsmen, hunters, sport shooters. It's being spent on, you know, deer herds, but it's also being spent on, you know, the warble-footed, you know, ferret or something like that, you know, some random animal because state game and fish agencies are responsible for all those animals. And so that's money that then can't get spent on, on, on habitat for ducks, you know, and things like that. It's being used for something else. And so Rawa, the idea is free up some funding so that that money, you know, so that that Pittman-Robertson money can be more appropriately spent targeting those other excuse me, those other species. Gotcha. All right. Next, this is probably the most important question that I had. This will be directed towards you, Nephi. All right. All right. So you're a gun guy. You're not a FUD. Be careful. Be careful when you ask him a gun question. I mean, how much time do you have? No, no, I'm going to make this, uh, I'm going to put a, like a cap on it, right? All right. I'm ready. Okay. So between Nephi Cole, David Wilms, and oh my gosh, I just his name Mike screwed McGrady. me up, Dave. Mike McGrady. Mike McGrady. He's always with us. I don't know if it, no. Hold on, Th- this this wasn't. This He's like wasn't the Holy Ghost. Oh my Remember gosh, the Trinity. <laughs> I just got off. him off right. his rhythm. Nephi, Dave, and John Wick. Oh, who wins? Who wins a three gun competition? I do. Nephi. You, you think you can beat John Wick? <laughs> you know who John Wick is, right? I mean, have yeah. you seen that movie Point Break? He's like a washed up kind of stoner. Like, he got ways. Dude, like, the reason I said John Wick is because Dave threw me off and I couldn't remember the name of the actor. Um, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Uh, it's Bill and Ted. Gosh. Bill and Ted. Yeah, man. Um, okay. Okay. Point yeah, Break, dude, Bill and Ted. I don't know. Just, I've hey, seen man. some. I've seen some YouTube videos and he's pretty solid. I don't know, Keanu looks like he's so you think you could beat him. What are we like? What, what's the game? Nephi's a solid three gun. What's guy. the game? I'm actually going to go shoot a three gun match this weekend. The largest three gun match in the nation. It's uh, the, the Magpul governor's match with a bunch of great shooters. And I will say, honestly, I have no idea having never 
really, if you're talking about John Wick on the movie, he beats me. In real life, if you're going to give me an opportunity to shoot <laughs> well, against Keanu. Well, Keanu is a, he's a frequent listener on this podcast. And well, so I just wanted to call out, you Keanu. out. Let's let's check it out. Yeah. You know, we, we it's can, the call out, right? Some, yeah. I, mean, I think that's a challenge. Just to, consider this an invitation to Keanu to the Magpul yeah. Governor's match to, uh, to compete against or Nephi. Or just to hang out with me. Me and Kanye will both be in Cody, <laughs> uh, Wyoming, and this weekend hanging out. Something tells me not Kanye. Me, Kanye, and Jerry, and Jerry Mitchell no. all in the same place at once. Kanye West moved to you know, Cody, Wyoming. Yes. He did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, like he's registered to vote in Wyoming now. He bought a huge ranch in oh, Cody. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah I'll, keep, I'll keep up with. Kanye. I don't think he's a big three gun guy, but, uh, but he, he did be. bring a lot of. He's moving a lot of his business uh, businesses be. to the state. Yeah. Well, it's because Wyoming, they don't charge like an LLC fee or anything like that. Right? Yeah, it's pretty low. There's an LLC yeah. fee, but business taxes are really low. Okay. Um, you guys got, you you guys, I'm talking to the listeners. Um, you got a, a little snippet here of what you can get on the Your Mountain podcast. Tell us why, why did you guys, why and when did you guys start the Your Mountain podcast? All right. I'll let we Dave started tell we, because I my answer won't be, it'll just be Dave won't be, be different. You won't yes. like it. So I'll, I'll say my reasons, right? So we started it uh just over 2 years ago. We were actually it's kind of funny because we we're actually still working for the governor at the time. Uh this was in his last year in office. We started this up. We had to go to our chief of staff to get permission to do this and we we recently found out that our chief of staff did not run this by the governor. Uh yeah. He's now <laughs> and a Supreme Court justice. She is a Supreme oh, Court justice now in the state. She that uh, that he may have shot us down, but she didn't. She's like, go for it. We just couldn't say where we worked, uh, you know, what we did, and we had to try and be sensitive to some of the policy issues that we might be working on at the time. Uh, anyway, so we've been doing it for just over two years. Uh, the reason, the why, is we had a, you know, when you work in a an office like that you establish these really intense relationships with your coworkers, right? You know, you're kind of on an Island, you know, everybody in the state, you know, they, they either love you or they hate you. They don't, you know, it's, you're, you're kind of isolated in, in a lot of ways and you develop this close relationship. You're in the trenches with these guys every day, working on these issues for the, for the governor. And we could see it, the end in sight, the finish line was coming. And so there were two reasons to start this in my mind. One was I just really wanted to figure out a way to stay in touch and hang out with these guys that I worked so closely with because uh, they are really good guys and I learn a lot from them every time uh, I hang out with them. So that was, you know, that was number one. Number two was we'd been listening to a lot of podcasts uh, when we worked in the governor's office and we decided that there are no present company excluded because we didn't know about yours at the time. Maybe it didn't exist at the time. Um, we found that that most of the podcasts out there dealing with uh, these conservation issues were, well, I don't know if wrong is the way to put it, <laughs> the right way to put it, but they definitely just missed a lot right. of the, they just missed a lot of the nuance or they didn't cover the issues. Like we were so, buried and immersed in these issues, right? And we're like, we're listening to these and saying, well, that's not right. Well, that's not what happened. And we thought that maybe our collective experiences could add a little bit to to the discussion. 
for the the broader hunting and angling community out there, right? And and broader conservation community to say, look, we have we have a unique set of skills and experiences uh, and ability to break down some really complex things, and we do it for a living. And maybe we can help make people aware of some of these issues and see them from all sides and and help people come yeah, make their own not make their own decisions. <laughs> That's my. Because we're really just. That was my reason, job, no, right? This is, that was Dave my is reason. Nephi might have another it. reason. Dave's because we like Dave, we did some podcasts with Steve Ranella, who's a friend of ours, and 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 Dave was like, every time we listen to Dave's, like, I can do that, I can do that, and I said, oh yeah, I'd like to see you try. Let's see what you got, Dave. And that's how and then, it started. So then that's Dave started a podcast and mailed bet. Steve Ranella All a bag. Was a bet because Dave was just sure that he could crush. Steve Ranella. He was like, I, that Steve Ranella guy, I'm even taller than him. He's not good looking. And Dave's like, I'm just going to crush him. I'm going to crush him. And I was like, oh yeah, let's see you do it, big guy. And then Dave couldn't figure out how to run the microphone. So then here comes Nephi. I could plug the microphone in. So suddenly I'm on the podcast too. Here we are two years later. I still can't get off. If you listen to our first episodes, I'm always, I always say still here. <laughs> Remember when I told you Two Nephi later, sometimes spouts here. a bunch of garbage and I have to rein him back in? <laughs> there it was. There it was. No, yeah, so you, you had Steve. There's Dave's like the truth. only guy that's probably sent Steve Ranella a bag of crap. Yeah, he did. Dave, I didn't see. I hand delivered it. Yeah. Oh, I you. I didn't that, see. That, that, it was you gift. looked him in the eye and you gave him some poop. I, yeah, Steve was I, like, hey, I, guess what? I collected this bucket yeah. of crap for you, Steve. Isn't this exciting? Here you go, bucket of crap. We <laughs> we sat, <laughs> we sat. It, hey Nephi, you thought he it was giggled, a great idea too. He, he giggled. Liked it. No, no, not Ranella. I mean Dave, all the way back on the airplane, just giggling, just giggling. It's just. It's I just like, thought it was great that I that I took it through security and I mean, gave it to Steve. Like it was Ranella. in my it was in my carry on. We we went hung out in his <laughs> hung out at his house and uh, and. While we're recording the podcast, lit a fire we, in his garage. Lit, lit, yeah, lit it on fire. Yeah, and, you know, just goes to show you, if you wear a tie, people will let you do anything. But as I mentioned to you last time, Ben, that's the thing about the the sage grouse <laughs> droppings is they they actually smell really good. Uh, you, you burn them like incense when they get. Don't burn the fresh stuff. It's got to be dried out. Uh, when it's when it's good, when and I dry. find myself in the unique situation where I'm burning sage grouse uh, crap, I'll I'll make sure that it's dry. Hey, look, he appreciated it, and he and the reason I did that is because we both Nephi and I knew that he was actually a crap connoisseur. We right? did. Like he had a coffee table full of animal droppings that did not include sage grouse. Like we're going to complete your collection and tell you something you didn't know about sage grouse, that the best part of the sage grouse is not uh, the breast, you know, rubbed in olive oil and grilled on a, uh, you know, to medium rare on a grill. No, no, no. Hmm. It's burning its feces. That is the best part of a sage grouse. <laughs> All right, Alex, uh, why don't you uh, take us into our rapid fire that you've got lined up? All right. So, which one of the you two is more of the duck hunter? Or That's I guess Dave. we could go with you know the. All right. All right. Dave, I can't this, even get this, in the blind. All right, Dave. This is for I'm, you I, then. Oh man, hang on. I'm more, I'm more of a goose hunter than a duck hunter, but I do both. Doesn't matter. All right. All right. This is equal opportunity. You ready? So you got to answer these as quickly as possible. All right. Hold on. Like, hold uh, on. Need I'm holding. Please interject at any point in time. Done. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> you didn't right, need to Dave. tell him twice. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite bird to hunt? What's my favorite bird? Oh, <laughs> geese for sure. Pigeons. All right. Yeah. Favorite, favorite favorite way to hunt? Boat, layout, pit, timber, marsh. Pit. All right. Favorite gauge? 12. Favorite gun? Uh, Remington 870 Express. Ooh, Express version. All right. Best. <laughs> you know, and the, the, the only reason is because uh, Nephi shakes his head. He's like, you can't. It's not like some kind of. Uh, Benelli or no, no, it's no, a Dave's preference is never, it's never like this isn't something like you or I've been like, oh, I'm a connoisseur, so I like this wine from this year because of this, this region in France was awesome. It's because Dave just happened to trip over that bottle of wine and it's the one that they were handing out free at Olive Garden. It's, That's it's why Dave likes the 870 Express. It's because it's cheap and indestructible. That's why I like it. It's my first shotgun. All right, what's your fa- uh, best goose dish? What do you like to do with uh, them? So it, it, it's, it's jerky. It's actually, I actually call it pineapple goose. Nope. So I, I cook it in a, <laughs> I cook it in a wok with some bok choy and some pineapple and you know a whole bunch of other stuff anyway. Uh, and it's it's like an Asian dish out of out of goose and it's it's pretty sublime. You bring actually. bags and bags of goose jerky to the governor's I make a, all the time. I do make a lot of goose. Well, when you get like 300 pounds of goose yeah. you know, in a season, you got to you have goose jerky, goose sausage, you know, goose pate. You goose, smelled like you a know. goose literally every day. I, I did the same. I did the same thing with all the geese. My wife and I killed this past season. I made a ton of teriyaki jerky and the office loved it. So good jerky. Uh, yeah. All right. So bonus question. What's your next bucket list bird or the next next mount bird you want to have mounted? Uh, Sandhill crane. I have, right, hunted, I, I have not hunted Sandhill crane. I want to do it in either uh, Southeast Texas or, or not Southeast, Southeast, Southeast Colorado or uh, Panhandle of Texas area. I, I would love to hunt Sandhill crane. Here, it's a draw only and there are very few tags. Uh, I haven't been fortunate enough to draw a Sandhill crane. And well, me- I, I've eaten, I've eaten one, you know, I've had them. Yeah, and, delicious. You know, the whole ribeye in the sky. It's true story. True story, right? And yep. so, but I have not had the opportunity to, to kill a Sandhill crane. Well, uh, you'll have to have to drop me a line after we get finished with the podcast because I know some folks in Texas that might be able to hook you up with that. So, anyways, uh, that's, that would be awesome. Yeah. So, this is uh, that's the new rapid fire. You know, I'd like to put, you know, for Ben and I, you know, the guests we bring on, I think this is a good conversation starter. You learn a lot about uh, what people Conversation ender. Conversation Ender, <laughs> Podcast Ender. There you go. Uh, all right. Other than that, I don't have anything else, guys. I really appreciate the insight you gave. And it was very interesting to hear some of the nuances of that, how it helps people. You know, for, for the listeners out there, this wasn't very waterfowl centric, but it was very us centric, uh, as in people that enjoy, you, you know, going out and utilizing the outdoor spaces. So I appreciate you guys breaking that down. And, um, you know, illustrating those points between the differences or those, those different points and uh, what they mean to us. And I definitely will be checking out your podcast. So and then if, uh, yeah, if any of you guys are ever find your way up to northeast uh, northern Virginia, look me up. The very last thing I want to ask you guys, because I'm going to steal it from you guys. The reason you call it your mountain podcast, explain it and then tell us what it is. And then we're out of here. If I, you or me. So we came up with it, uh, you know, we call it your mountain because, you know, we're talking about, you know, I think Dave actually came up with the original concept of it. He's got this place he loves to hunt and he always, 
uh, it's kind of like his goose, but he never takes anyone there, but he calls it his mountain. And so we were starting to talk about this location, you know, your mountain, and we decided that, you know, it's kind of a fitting metaphor for, for everybody. Um, so what it is, is your mountain. It's that place that's special to you in the great outdoors. But then we decided it's also something that's more than that. You know, something, sometimes it's, it's a physical place. Sometimes it is, you know, it's that thing that you, that, that you strive each day to conquer or you get better at. So that's why we call it your mountain because everybody has their mountain. So, um, that's why we call the podcast your mountain. What's your mountain, Nephi? My mountain is a, um, my mountains, lots of places, right? Right now I'm in a uh, place, we'll call it my mountain. I'm, I'm next to the Bighorn Mountains. Um, and, uh, there's, uh, this little location. It's been in my wife's family since the 1930s. And it's, uh, it's special because they came here and they put a little tiny cabin here and we're actually still, you know, I'm. 20 feet away from that log cabin that they built and it's been you know finished over time there's three streams running through this place all of them have trout they're, they're kind of you know they all start from the same creek and they all end up in the same creek but they kind of split through this through this property i have a 10 year old and a seven year old and those boys have both caught their first fish in these you know knee deep creeks that run through this piece of family property that is literally 200 yards away from a trailhead at a na- in the national forest that takes you up into elk country. Today, I saw I had four white-tailed deer come through here. Um, all of them, uh, eight points or better. Um, there was like we built my kids a treehouse in one of the in between three ponderosa pine trees. It's a giant treehouse. And it just so happens to be in the perfect spot to shoot uh, deer and turkeys from. And, uh, you know, it's just a wonderful place. And to me, why is it my mountain? Because, you know, my mountain really is trying to, and that's why I participate and, and want to be part of, want to be part of developing this, you know, podcast with Dave. I want to make sure that my boys, my 10 year old, my seven year old, that when they get to my age, they get to have an experience with their kids that they have elk to hunt that they have fish you know that they have you know the liberties that i enjoy today and to me that's that's the only thing that i work for that's the only thing that's really important in life is making sure that i leave something for you know for them later on to be able to have the same privileges and opportunities that i have because i feel enormously blessed by the place that I live, by the people that I'm surrounded with, and by who I am. And that's my mountain. Dave. All right. Mine, I'm not going to tell you the specific location of it, but but my mountain is a very specific mountain. And it is, uh, my dad's the one that taught me how to hunt and fish and camp. I wasn't a Boy Scout or anything like that. Everything I learned before I started teaching myself new things, everything that I learned to get me on my way to being where I am today. I learned from my dad and everything he taught me, he taught me on this mountain, right? Like I caught my first fish on a fly rod. I killed my first elk. Later on, I killed my first moose. I learned how to build a fire or how to set up a tent. I mean, everything I learned about the outdoors, I learned 
in this place. Um, and I still go there and I've taken my kids there. Uh, it, it's been burned with two fires. It doesn't look and ravaged by beetle kill. It doesn't look anything like it looked like when I was a kid. Uh, but it's still my mountain. It's still the place I go. Still the place I take my kids. It's the place I hope they take their kids. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's nothing special, but it's like, it's everything that I am today as an outdoorsman can be traced back to experiences of my youth on that place. All right. Nephi Cole, David Wilms from the Your Mountain Podcast. Go give them a listen. If there's one podcast that I'll give up my listenership to, it would be uh, the Your Mountain Podcast because I feel like uh, you guys are doing right by getting people informed and educated on the issues that they need to care about, especially if they're sportsmen. So thanks for having us on. uh, It's been a privilege to be on with you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really, absolutely. really appreciate you having us on. Really do, uh, and it's been it's been fun uh, listening to your podcast and learning about it. I'm glad that we met those many months ago, uh, and it, you know, hopefully, yeah, you know, we can do more than these Zoom kind of conversations, and we can get together and do a little hunting or something this fall too. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast, Alex. You got anything before we head out? Nope. I'm out of here. Perfect. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.